but Dave, what, in your opinion, is the most interesting, you know, new thing around the MySQL ecosystem that you've seen in the last year or two? Hello, everybody. Welcome to another Haas Talks Foss. I am the Haas, Matt Yankovic, uh, head of open source strategy at Percona. And today we are joined with one of Percona's newest employees, Dave Stokes. Dave, welcome to Percona. Well, thank you. I enjoy being here. Yes. So, you know, if you are in the MySQL community, you probably know Dave from the many years that he has spent uh, giving us all kinds of interesting, cool, you know, uh, conference talks, blog posts. Uh, he's been a super active member of the community for years and years. In fact, uh, many of us at Percona have worked with Dave previously when he worked at MySQL or at Oracle. Um, and when I hired Dave, I got a lot of pings and said, oh, my God, Dave's joining us. Now, I don't know, Dave, maybe that was a good thing or a bad thing. Um, I tried to clarify, and most people thought it was positive, so so you're in the clear there. But, you know, when somebody says, oh, my God, Dave's joining us, it could go either way, right? Hopefully not. Hopefully it's all for the positive. Yes, it was all for the positive. So Dave is joining us uh, to help us in the community team, to help us on the DevRel side and, you know, the evangelism side, uh, uh, continuing the work that he's been doing in the MySQL space for all these years. And I figured it would be good to do an introduction uh, and let people out in the community who uh, watch the podcast, who follow us on YouTube or on Twitch or wherever we're streaming uh, to get an introduction to Dave, learn a little bit about him and uh, hear about some of his experiences. So, Dave, why don't you introduce yourself to uh, our vast audience? And by the way, I don't know if you knew this. But we uh, actually achieved number one status in Tunisia for this podcast for our demographic. Ooh. So open source database technical, you know, content in Tunisia. We're like the top podcast. Glad to hear that will drive my Q rating, which will make me even more popular. Yes, yes. So, so thank you <laughs> to those in Tunisia tuning in. Yes. Um, let's see. Background. Uh, many years ago. Uh, I was working at a university on the West Coast, University of San Diego, and the vendor that we chose for our hardware kept killing off the operating systems that we use, RISTIS-E, TOPS-10, TOPS-20, and I got the ability to load up one of our older machines with a version of Unix. And from then on, I was really thinking, this is really neat. People are contributing, contributing all over the world to this operating system to add features. And a little while later, you hear about this crazy guy from Finland. Um, somehow, in the open source world, was always a crazy guy in Finland uh, who created this operating system that he was giving away. Um, many years ago, you used to have to buy your operating system from the vendor that made your hardware, and you couldn't take that software to someone else's hardware. Yeah, and, so and they were expensive really, too. Like, like I mean, like when you were talking Unix, it was like a hundred thousand dollars. Uh, well, I was lucky at a university. We only had to pay three hundred dollars to Berkeley to get the the sixteen hundred BPI magnetic reel tape. Oh, and, uh, <laughs> yeah, we, yeah, we were we were hot stuff. Um, anyway, many years later, I'm at the American Heart Association. I was putting them on the internet, and we had a need for a database. And at the time, in the open source world, there's one called MSQL, and it sort of worked. It really wasn't free. 
And then yet another crazy guy from Finland says, we have this thing called MySQL. Got to be a better product. It has an extra letter in the name. And uh, ever since then, I've been using MySQL. Uh, about the same time, I discovered PHP. So thanks to uh, Rasmus Lerdorf and Monty Wadanis, you know, that's pretty much been the core of my career ever since. And in uh, 2007, I was uh, expanding my horizons by taking the MySQL certification for DBA 5.0. And back then, it was two tests to get the certification. And I failed the second test by one question. And a lot of the questions were kind of poorly worded. And at the same time, I saw a notice on forums uh, for MySQL that they were looking for a PHP developer. And I figured, well, let me see what's going on. So I wrote a letter that was half complaint about, hey, some of your questions really need to be tightened up a little bit. And half, hey, this is why you need to hire me. And surprise, surprise, I got hired by MySQL AB. And that uh, that was a little bit of a shock. I mean, this was a, a very small company, global reach, uh, people all over the place, and very exciting customer base. Uh, that's the thing that really, I guess, be going about MySQL. And uh, same thing I see in the Postgres and Mongo communities out there. And what I see growing with uh, so like ProxySQL and some other tools out there is that the community is always doing something different. Uh, it used to be you go to a conference and you hear something in the hallway track that would instantly make you go down the rabbit hole with some of the new approach to doing stuff. And there's always innovation. There's always creativity. And there's always something new happening. Uh, it's, it's not static. Uh, a lot of the software uh, bases out there, uh, I won't name them for uh, various reasons. You, you go back after six months and see, oh, what have they done? Have they changed anything? Nope, they're still arguing the same things. No one's really done anything. But the MySQL community and the open source database community is generally very vibrant. Uh, what's real interesting is, uh, especially in the open source database world, when I talk to the folks from Postgres, uh, a few folks I've talked through Mongo, um, we're a lot more alike than we are different. And the approaches change a little bit. But they're all kind of, how do we make things better? How do we make the product better? How do we make it more accessible? How do we make it more redundant? How do we make it safer? And it's, um, it's, it's a very interesting uh, niche to, to be in. Yeah. And Dave, so we joined MySQL AB the same year. I don't know if you knew that in 2007, mm -hmm. which was, uh, what, two years before the Oracle purchase. Yes. Right. And for those of you who were not there, uh, we were told by Martin Mikos, you have to be in the room, uh, in the conference room at 7.55 precisely. And everyone's going, gee, Martin's never been a stickler for time before. <laughs> What's going on? And uh, they had it out, uh, shots of vodka, which um, for me was a little bit of a shock. But I guess yeah, that's the way things the morning, were done. Shots of vodka for <laughs> everyone. At MySQLAB yeah. to announce that Sun had acquired um, MySQL. And then a uh, year and a quarter later, I'm at the MySQL users uh, group meeting or user show. And I turn on Channel 2 News in, Los in uh, San Francisco. Big news in the Silicon Valley. Oracle has bought Sun Microsystems. And I started texting some of my coworkers who were saying, you know, you, you really weren't drinking that much last night. Where are you getting this from? Turn on the news. Turn on the news. We've been sold. So yeah. that was kind of an exciting thing. Um, no, I, I was actually in 
um, we, we had shared rooms as part of the professional service team, right? So you know, we, we had double room and I was with E. Trudeau. Uh, and I remember getting up at like, you know, five or six or whatever. And like, I saw that and I'm like, oh my God, you know, and, and he, you know, was kind of half awake, you know, what are you complaining about? And I go, ah, we just got bought. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's like, by who? And it's like Oracle. And he's like, what? <laughs> Um, uh, well, the, the old MyScale Professional Services Group was quite an impressive group. Yes, uh, it I got was. to know Brian. Uh, I got to know Brian uh, Majeski fairly well. Uh-huh. Um, he's, he's, he, this is one of those guys you'd ask him any obscure question about MySQL, and he'd not only give you an A plus answer, but tell you how to work around any issues. And uh, Josh Chalmers, who used to run the group, was very formidable. If you ever were in a discussion with him, you always. Uh, I wouldn't say felt intimidated, but you could tell that he was always from negotiating from a, a point of strength. And you guys would work four days a week and then spend the fifth day writing up the customer uh, review action list of what was going on. Oh, not not as much as you would think. That might have been the goal. But um, mm-hmm. a lot of times it was five days and then you just kind of wrote it on your own. Uh, you know, so it, it was kind of a back and forth. It depended on who you were working with and like what they wanted. But uh, back then, it was road warrior time, right? So <laughs> I, I spent 46 weeks out of the year on the road uh, being dropped into um, a new customer every week or sometimes two customers a week. And, you know, you would go in and get MySQL humming. You would tune some Linux stuff. You'd tune some Apache stuff. You know, you'd kind of do everything to get, you know, whatever that particular customer wanted. And, you know, I mean, you're talking about a who's who of, you know, Silicon Valley at the time. Uh, it was quite an intense position because you just, you were, you were doing so much so quick, right? Um, mm-hmm. It was, it was amazing how much um, you turned things over and how quickly you did. And it's great to see so many people move on from that uh team and from the early days of mysql into you know greater things right um you know uh you know you've got yoshinori for instance over at facebook you know uh spent a ton of time building you know out there uh rocks db um you've got monty mm-hmm. taylor who um was very active in the uh uh the open stack community um and drizzle and is now at oracle right um and uh, he he's kind of gone through the, the 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 paces um but he was one of the top contributors for openstack for years um you know brian aker you know obviously you know uh from a overall perspective has moved on and done a ton of other things uh with hp and um you know other companies so there's a lot of really awesome technical people who went on to achieve um, a lot of great things post MySQLAB, mm-hmm. uh, which is which is often cool to see. And I know there's there's hundreds of others, and I didn't mention you. It's not because I didn't like. You know, <laughs> there's so many, right? I mean, there, there just is. Um, and you, you know, you see that kind of uh, tree, if you will, right, where you know people have come out and you know accomplished so much. So. You know, I think those early days always have a special place in my heart, at least. Uh, yeah. and, and 
kind of introduced me to that open source philosophy and lifestyle. So, you know, I, I always yeah. love that special place. The, the other thing that impressed me when I first joined was I was taking a one of the MySQL classes. I think it was the DBA class, just to kind of get a feel for it. And Sarah Spurnell was teaching it. And what was interesting is she had um, her notes up. She had a chat line going. Um, she had uh, three other ways of communication. So she was talking to the software engineers who were writing the code when she had questions. She talked to other uh, instructors. Uh, she talked to the various program managers. And if someone had a really out of the, the ballpark question, um, she could very quickly answer it, which I thought, wow, these folks really, really support each other. Yeah. Well, and, you know, so you mentioned Sarah and, you know, she's gone on to have a heck of a career leading, you know, organizations around, you know, support and customer success and, you know, uh, worked mm -hmm. at a, a plethora of companies that have gone to unicorn status. Um, Yes. And, and I remember she was one of the trainers, her and uh, Tobias, when I started. And, you know, first week you always had to go through training. Um, and it was Eve and I in training the same week uh, before we actually officially started. And uh, that was my first uh, introduction to a few of uh, the MySQL folks. Um, but uh, no, I mean, it was it was great, great times back then. Um, and, and like I said, so many great people. Now, Dave, you continued your MySQL journey with Oracle for many, many years. And what I'm really curious about is being part of this community. Why has the MySQL community for you just been your home and a place that you just you, you love? Like what, what has what has led to that kind of like you haven't wanted to leave the MySQL community. You wanted to just continue to, you know, thrive and excel in that space. What, what attracts you to that? Well, as I mentioned earlier, it's an innovation. You see new stuff going on all the time. Uh, also, it's very interesting. You see a small business that claws their way into existence and they start running MySQL back in uh, for WordPress or something like that. And you see them start to grow and evolve and uh, develop. And it's, it's a very nice incubation tool to see someone go from zero to a, a trillion. Uh, fairly quickly. And also the, the people in the community are, are just fantastic. Uh, used to be when we, I went to trade shows, even when I ran to someone who was upset with MySQL, uh, they're still using MySQL. And it's one of those things where it, it's, it's just a great uh, starting point for so many businesses. And there's so much you can do with it. Now, I've heard you talk about, you know, you need to make sure you architect things right and um, uh, even when people don't do that, you still get fairly decent performance out of it. Now, in the Postgres world, which, which I love, um, there's, um, I wouldn't say there's a lot more rigor to developing things, but they, the community there is, um, as dynamic, uh, probably, um, uh, looking for a good term here. Um, it's a similar vein, and uh, I need to get into that better. Uh, I used to go to computer shows. And when you're at a computer show, they, they close down this thing. You go out to dinner. You go out to dinner with the other computer geeks. So you, you end up talking uh, with them. And the passion you see there is the same as you see in MySQL. 
it's just that I think MySQL is a little more uh, in my focus because I, I, I'm dealing with it every day. Yeah, and uh, from my experience, but, from a Postgres perspective, the community is outstanding. They're very welcoming. Um, they are deeply technical. And I think part of the difference between the MySQL and the Postgres community is a lot of the folks in the Postgres community are core contributors. And since it is a community-driven project that has many companies that, that contribute, you know, uh, whether it's, mm -hmm. you know, Crunchy or EDB or Percona or others that provide, you know, uh, uh, engineering talent, it's still a collective that is developing the, the, the core of Postgres, whereas MySQL, it's, it's an Oracle-owned company. It was a MySQL-owned company. So the majority of the engineering resources were in the one company. So that's where I see the big difference is it's mm -hmm. more of a technical collaboration, whereas in the MySQL community, you have a wide swath of user community, right? So um, people who are extending um, as opposed to really building the core, in my opinion. Yeah. Well, I, I also wonder, you know, you see so many open source projects where you have the benevolent dictator for life. Uh, yes, yes. And the exact, the exact opposite of the spectrum is Postgres, where everything's um, very distributed, very um, non-directive. And it's kind of interesting to see how the two approaches work. And the great thing is both approaches work. Right. Yeah. So. No, and I mean, you know, and this is where it's just, it's it's a slightly different use case, a slightly different area. And, you know, there, there's room for, for both. And, you know, that, that people always ask, like, you know, MySQL or Postgres. And, and the answer isn't one or the other. It's both, right? And I think that both have their place and both, um, can do awesome things. And I think it's counterproductive to, to, to argue specifically about, you know, like which database is better. Um, it's not like there's going to be a street fight between the two. <laughs> well, if they were, it'd be very short lived and very messy. I, I don't. <laughs> yes. Uh, so, but so Dave, in, in like the last few years, you know, we've seen an immense evolution in the, the, the database space both in MySQL, Postgres, elsewhere. So I'm curious, like, what have you seen, you know, in your travels, in your community engagement? What what are some of the things that are kind of popping up over and over again as you have talked to people out in that user space? What's on the top of their minds? Well, um, 11 and a half years ago when I started being a community manager. By the way, I said um, you recently thing 11 was, and a half years, Dave. Yeah. Um, the old problems were I'm a Linux uh, admin and I got this database. How do I keep it running? Yeah. And that's kind of shifted to being, hi, I'm a reliability engineer. I've never actually seen my hardware. It's all up in the cloud. How do I keep it running? Right. So the, the, fo the focus has, has changed from, you know, how do I keep this, this box that I can literally go and percussively hit when it's not behaving to what I want to this virtual thing that somewhere, somehow, and actually has multiple instances, other somehow in some places. Uh, it, it's a big shift. Uh, the other great thing is that in the old days, your database started running out of disk space. Okay, well, I got to put in a capital, capital request to have my business go out and purchase a disk drive, which means purchasing has got to get involved. Uh, the tax compliance people might be involved, all this other stuff. And then you got to schedule downtime to plug in this disk, reformat it, spread things around. Um, 
Now you want more disk space, you call up and hopefully your credit card has uh, more, more money on it. Uh, the days of having to sweat over, you know, do I do a write through or write back cash on my disk drives? No one's arguing that anymore except for uh, very small uh, groups. Uh, the, the focus has changed away from, you know, how to mechanically do things to how do I logically do things. Mm. Yeah. No, and I mean, it, it, it's a good point, you know, and, and you, you mentioned SREs um, who, you know, now it's an SRE who has to deal with the database once in a while. I think it's also the developers who have to, right? So it's more and more, mm-hmm. I trusted, you know, that, you know, hey, this the, the cloud service is going to take care of the database for me. They're my quote unquote DBA without realizing that there's a lot more activity that has to happen. So um, there's definitely a need for uh, smarter tooling, smarter, um, you know, AI maybe, or even like just that knowledge on how to fix those things quickly when they do come up and cause issues. Well, there's still going to be a need for the the traditional DBA functions of, of, Tuning queries, making sure the the data types match the use, and planning for growth of the of the the tables. Um, a lot of the the old stuff, you know, like backups. That's um, you know that's much more easily done now. You don't actually don't have someone running and changing tapes anymore, uh, or 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 that sort of work. So. What's yeah, interesting well, to me is how there, there used to there, there used to be just a person who would walk through, you know, and, and, and take tapes out and put them in like containers and ship them off site, right? Um, yeah, you know, well, it's not like the old days where you'd see a, an old engineer with a pocket protector, you know, will punch cards for money uh, or for food. But uh, it, it's interesting to see how the focus has changed. Yeah, definitely. And the size of the databases have gotten absolutely amazing. I was talking to someone who's got a fifteen terabyte. Um, test set from their four petabyte data lake. And that's their test set. And <laughs> yeah, that's a pretty big test set. Uh, like, so, it, yeah, but you want to test in a realistic scenario. So I guess, you know. Um, yeah. And, and not that long ago, we we're talking about, well, we have to run Hadoop to do MapReduce all this to get things down to a small coalesce size so we can actually process it. Um, that's out the window. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's it's interesting because when you talk about the explosive data sizes that have happened, you know, we, we do have more and more data. And you talk about, you, you mentioned like data lake. And the, the, the funny thing is there's so many disparate sources of data now. That, that's where this data lake concept, we used to call it a data warehouse, right? You know, or a, a data mark or, you know, operational data store. I mean, there, there's a bazillion terms for something that's been around for basically forever. Uh, but uh, the idea that there's all of this different data in all of these different places and you want to kind of pool it together or put it in some place that you can easily access it and combine it and do some activities, uh, it's not a new concept. But I think that two things have really changed it, right? And so I think the first is we don't want to get rid of anything, right? Um you, you know, like there is so much out there collecting so much data on all of us, uh, you know, and, and everyone is scared to death that they might lose some competitive advantage if they get rid of some data or don't store it if it's available. So they want to store mm-hmm. everything um, forever and ever and ever. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and And I think that that has led to an additional burden on you know a lot of the systems 
when you look at the different database technologies, there's there's really now a database for almost every potential use case. Uh, I saw that there's, you know, DB Engines lists over 350 different databases that they're tracking. And several of them I have seen in use at a, a you know, uh, one particular customer or another. You might have customers now or users who have eight to 10 different databases that they're storing data in, and they have some need to combine that data or access it in a unified way. Well, what's scary is a, a acquaintance of mine is a DBase2 expert. Um, for those of you who've never heard of it, this is back in the early days of, of PCs. Now, this person's new claim to fame is that they have it running on a PC and there's lawyers involved in a court case where someone had some frozen data from a business deal gone bad and they're in the middle of litigation now. And they have data that's 20 some odd years old that they have to store and maintain and keep pristine. Uh, considering how quickly we evolve from various storage engines and, uh, well, various storage methods. Um, would we be able to actually be able to come back and say, okay, five years from now, can we come back to March 3rd, 2022 and have an exact representation of the data because someone's trying to prove something in a court of law? Uh, scary. That is right. I mean, I think that the, 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 the pace of technology, um, makes that increasingly difficult, especially if you're only relying on backups, which means that a lot of people have resorted to just leaving the data live in whatever active system they have currently, even if it is not accessed that often. Mm-hmm. And by the way, if you've never tried, if you haven't recently tried to buy a five and a quarter inch floppy disk, uh, <laughs> it's an exercise in futility. Do, do they actually sell them? I like, I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't even know. Um, I'm sure that they. I'm, I'm sure everything's available on Amazon these days. But I'm sure uh, yeah, they, they well, you, you're not going to buy a new one, right? Like you're, you're not going to. It's like buying a new VHS player. The last VHS, the company that made VHS players, went out of business. So you're you're going to buy it on the secondhand market. Uh, but uh, you, no, I, I but ironically, so somebody's still making Betamax. I've been told. So uh, there you go. There you go. <laughs> That's for the industrial uses and the, the broadcast networks. But Dave, you're dating us with this technology on the five and a half quarter. Yeah. So, so let's look at the future. Uh, future, I think, is kind of interesting, especially uh, when you see things like the JSON data type. Um, it, it's funny how all the database, the relational databases, um, were were bragging on the NoSQL databases that were mainly JSON based. That hey, you guys are transactional, so they said, okay, we're going to become transactional. Meanwhile, all the relational databases, Oracle, Postgres, MySQL, SQL Server, added a JSON data type. And it's kind of like, well, are they just trying to do a checkbox out there? Um, because, hey, if we have this out there, we can kind of, you know, wave that over the, the, the operations instead. No, actually, the JSON data type has turned out to be very valuable because there's so much data being sent out in JSON. It's nice to be able to capture it and store it in that native data type. And the... The uses of that are, are real um, exciting to me because you have the ability to have um, highly immutable data on top of a fairly rigid in, uh, relational structure, and that works very well for a lot of folks. And also, a couple of years ago, the JSONSchema.org folks came out 
And by the way, they like to be called brilliant. I, I, I did that in a blog post one time. I got a lot of my positive feedback for that. I uh, came up with a way to get rid of the, the one thing that always made me cringe about JSON was that there was no way to have rigor on your data. Uh, if I was storing a JSON document and I had a email tag and I was spelling it E-M-A-I-L all lowercase and you were doing it with camel case and someone else was typing out electronic mail, um, there is no way to actually force the the data to be what you wanted in the format you wanted. Anyway, these folks worked out a way by setting up an exemplar that you check the document against before it checks into your data. So you don't get the bad data into the database. And it's easier to keep bad data out than try to go back and fix bad data. So all these little innovations like that, I see as big step forwards for us. Yeah. And that's interesting because that brings to mind two points, right? So one is one of the benefits that people extol about JSON is the flexibility, which is difficult if you're doing schema or JSON validation, because if it's not validatable, then it is rejected. And therefore, in some people's minds, it's not flexible. Uh, so there is some weirdness that goes on with people, you know, like, right, because, you know, uh, yeah, if you're looking for certain validation within that, 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 that document, uh, that kind of negates some of that flexibility in some people's minds. So it, that is. Well, how many times have you opened up someone's data table and you've seen, oh, everything's a VARCAR 255, all 25 columns, and they're storing string data in there. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> and they somehow concatenate together. I, I get it. Right. I, I, I'm saying that, you know, this is where uh, a lot of people extol the virtues of schemaless or this flexible, you know, uh, design without realizing what the implications necessarily are of that. Mm -hmm. Now, the, the other thing that kind of comes to mind is the cyclical nature of technology. Right. We, we live in a, in, in, you know, we've been around long enough, Dave, where we have seen things kind of repeat. Right. I mean, let's be honest. Um, you know, whether it's, you know, virtualized versus containers, you know, or it's, um, you know, sharing resources like the cloud, you know, like these things are not concepts that are new necessarily. It's just that mm -hmm. you see the cyclical nature um, of technology. And what we see is there are patterns. And I can tell you one of the patterns that comes and goes is uh, consolidation versus distribution or central control versus distributed control. And what I mean by this and how this relates mm -hmm. to uh, databases in general and technology is you will see phases where everything is, we need more, right? We need to <laughs> expand and choose the best thing for the job, followed by mm -hmm. a phase where it's like, things have become too unruly and we want the flexibility, but we want one thing to control the flexibility followed by something that says one monolithic control plane is stupid. We want the benefits of all these other things. And so then you have the explosion and then you have the, you know, consolidation. And so this, this, this back and forth between consolidation versus, you know, uh, uh, explosive, you know, growth or uh, technology sprawl, it's a cyclical thing that happens every few years. Uh, but, you know, you mentioned, you know, back in the Unix days, big iron, right? 
we want massive boxes and we want less of them. We want more horsepower in the one. We're going to consolidate as much as possible. Nope. We want commodity. You know, we want blade servers. We want, you know, multiple technologies that allow us to scale out. And then we go back mm-hmm. to, well, yeah, the scale out was so hard to manage. We're going to come back to a single thing. And then we, we, we go back. So, I mean, like this, this technology cycle cyclical. And it's interesting when you mention things like the JSON data type, because a lot of databases start out and you can see this pattern where it's, I'm here to solve a specific use case, right? You know, mm-hmm. MongoDB document database, you know, we're here to store documents in the BSON or JSON-like format. This is what we do, right? We're not worried about transactional workload. We're not worried about this. We're not worried about that. And then at a certain point, they're like, oh, now we're going to add transactional workload. Now we're going to add this. Now we're going to add that. And they start to take what was a very specific use case, which means that you would have technology that sprawls, right, for every use case. You know, you know you've got a transactional system, mm-hmm. you have a transactional database. You have a document database, you have a document database. You have a, you know, a need for, uh, you know, Hadoop type workload, you have that. You know, and so you have like each type of technology, whereas now you start to see some of the bigger vendors say, we need to take the features in these other databases and consolidate them into ours. So then they'll just use ours as the single use case and everyone can kind of standardize and consolidate on mm-hmm. one. And I think but that- But what, what is it, 80% of folks running databases have more than one type of database in their environment? Yeah, more is than that, that. yeah, yeah. That's the number I remember. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, so. and but, but I think that the vendors and the, the, the projects themselves get a lot of pressure because, you know, people want to have less things that they're responsible for because a lot of them are difficult to manage, right? Like, how do you manage the, yeah. you know, all these different disparate technologies? How do you get expertise in it? And so there's that pressure of, ooh, we can help them. But there's also pressure in we can capture more market share because, you know, when you corner the market in one particular niche use case uh, to expand, sometimes you need to jump to the adjacent land, right? Uh, generate a bit mm-hmm. more revenue, you know? So if you can have a relational database that all of a sudden does document database type stuff or analytics, it's it's a jump that you can make because it's one kind of lane over, but it expands your use case. So it, it, it's an interesting dynamic in, in, in market because I do see that from a database perspective, more and more databases try to adopt features just to catch up or just to try and mm-hmm. say, look, you can consolidate and use us uh, for everything. Now, with the consolidation of the cloud, um, I've heard people argue that we're, we're just kind of going back to kind of a theoretical mainframe environment where there's going to be one box that has all our data and everyone uses that one box to get all the data out of. And uh, I know mechanically behind the scenes, that's the way it is. But I know a lot of businesses are thinking, well, I don't have to have a PC on everyone's desk. I just have to have them have a way to access the cloud. And the cloud will act as the equivalent of a mainframe for my data. Yeah, well, and I mean, yeah, well, let's, 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 that, that, that's a whole nother discussion <laughs> when you talk about like desktops and, you know, whatnot from the cloud. 
but I think that well, well, you talk to businesses; everyone has one of these. So let's let's well, make that our universal I, interface to all our data, which, which hurts. Well, it, it's possible, but I think that this is where you know you could see decentralized computing as something that eventually takes over from some of these centralized resources, right? So right now, you, you know, you mentioned mm -hmm. putting everything in the cloud and whether that's monolithic or a single point is uh, debatable, but there's a lot of work on decentralized services, especially with blockchain, you know, type technology. And like, you know, when you look at uh, the, the finance and crypto space, where you're looking at decentralized identity and decentralized services and decentralized this and that, there's there's a point where someone will look to figure out how they can utilize that technology to instill or uh, bring kind of a, a crowdsourcing approach to a lot of the bigger data problems that we have. Whereas mm -hmm. you might have, instead of having one centralized controlled server, and this is kind of this idea of serverless, right? You, you have the idea of serverless right now in a lot of cloud providers and things where it's like, you know, you don't really have a server, uh, but uh, there is really a server behind the scenes. You just don't know about it uh, where, you know, but ultimately what you'd want is you farm out the work and then wherever it is, it handles the work and gives you a result. And right now, the technology that we have is very specific to that particular data center or that particular provider, but it is possible to cross all the realms and make it truly distributed in the future. Mm -hmm. Now, I probably sound like a heretic or something when people will be like, what the hell is he talking about? Uh, but that's okay. We've gone into a really weird space here, uh, which I didn't expect, which is cool. Uh, you never know where these conversations will head. Uh, but Dave, what, in your opinion, is the most interesting, you know, new thing around the MySQL ecosystem that you've seen in the last year or two? Um, the, the two things that really um, made me stop and, and take a look at them, um, I'm always reading things like uh, Slash.org, um, the various forums for the various databases, um, the Reddit forums for the various databases. Um, when you see something like a proxy SQL or a vTest pop up, and it's not run by the main vendor for the database, and you see the the uh, the swarm of people who go to it because it's solving a need that they have, and um, you know, as as an industry matures, uh, you tend to have consolidation and things kind of become gelatinous and they slow down and become messy. But when we see something like Proxy SQL that suddenly is on the scene and doing a whole lot of really neat stuff for a whole lot of people, uh, that's one of those things that you go, yeah, there, there's fresh blood in the environment that's, that's doing really neat stuff. Uh, the other thing that's interesting to me is I'm going out on these forums and looking at all these novices who are coming into the database world, and they haven't had... Um, Formal schooling and relational uh, theory sets, um, uh, Boolean logic and that, but they're going out there and they're using databases to do what they need. And the the changes from when I started, or or even a couple of years ago, to the ability to have these folks be able to go from zero to sixty miles an hour, um, 
it's gotten a lot better. Mm. Uh, still not where I, I think it should be, but these people are able to get in there and use the technology and do pretty amazing stuff fairly quickly. Yeah, definitely. Well, Dave, welcome to Percona. We appreciate you Thank coming you. and hanging out with us. Uh, <laughs> you know, you, you're going to be seeing Dave over the next uh, few months here. Start popping up on live streams. Start doing some videos. You're going to see his name on the Percona blog. We're going to put Dave's name in lights. Dave's going to become <laughs> Percona famous. That's that's the goal. Percona famous Dave. So, Dave, uh, thanks for hanging out this morning. And if you want to reach out to Dave, uh, you know, feel free to, to, you know, drop him a line, uh, you know, at david.stokes at percona.com or uh, follow him on his own personal blog or on the Twitterverse. Uh, wherever Dave is, you will see him. And I hope to see you all at Percona Live. Oh, yes. See, look, he's already, he's already, he's already making you know uh you know uh good on his promise to help us out by plugging percona there you yeah go. the the call for paper is open it's in austin and if you have any questions about austin i live a couple hours north of there but i can tell you all the good places to eat and uh some other amazing adventures you could have in the nearby area Ooh. so submit that paper today okay so you know so 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 dave's going to be your host down in austin so come on down all right bye everybody Adios, amigos. Wow, what a great episode that was. We really appreciate you coming and checking it out. We hope that you love open source as much as we do. If you like this video, go ahead and subscribe to us on the YouTube channel. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And of course, tune in to next week's episode. We really appreciate you coming and talking open source with us.